good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will conclude our study through the book of Esther, as one of our elders, Paul Jacobs, leads us through the texts of chapters 9 and 10. We will see once again that the faithfulness of our God helps us to develop this concluding conviction of how very important it is to remember to pass on the message of God's faithfulness from generation to generation. Thanks for joining us through this study as we look now to the obedience of God's people and to our God's never failing faithfulness. Good morning. Um, I want to first um, thank everybody for being here today. Uh, you know, knowing that Pastor Ryan's not always speaking, sometimes we, uh, uh, as elders or speakers, we you know we wonder will people come and hear us speak. And um, I hope that you know that you're not coming to hear us speak; that you're coming to hear God's word. And uh, hopefully, the Holy Spirit will speak through me today. And um, it's just great to be with you, and, and thank you all for being here, and especially for the guests that we have today. Um, how many of you have special memories that you'll never forget? Paula and I have one such memory of our daughter, Allison. When she was nearing her college graduation, she called us one Sunday morning and told us that she had decided to join the Peace Corps in the country of Jordan. Now, Paula and I had had much discussion with her about that over several weeks and months. And we told her it was great, but I asked her, I said, how did you come up with the determination to make that decision? She explained that she had been considering this for several weeks and praying every day that God would give her the guidance to make the right decision. As it was getting closer to graduation, Allison was getting a little frantic that God was not giving her the answer. She told us that she got on her knees the night before and fervently prayed that God would finally give her the answer that she needed. She asked that God would write the answer on the wall. At midnight, she opened up her laptop and on the wallpaper of her computer, there was a rotating Bible quote. And this night, the verse was from the book of Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here. To go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. And Allison said, so mom and dad, I'm going to Jordan. (laughs) And one of my friends called me at 10 after 12 last night to tell me, and she was considering also going into the Peace Corps in a different country, just to tell her that she was at perfect peace with it at midnight that night. So this is a memory that uh, I'll never forget. And from our Old Testament reading today, from Deuteronomy, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. 
So what memories do you have in your life? What are those memories? Are they joyful? Are they traumatic? Are they good? Are they bad? These are the things we remember, right? Do they speak of the goodness of God when we follow him? Or do they speak of the times we turned our back on him? Does God speak to you in your memories? If he does, do we hear him? Sometimes his presence is clear, like in Allison's case, but sometimes he operates invisibly to us. If his hand is not clearly seen in our lives, do we learn to look for him around every corner? He is certainly there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for gathering us in this, in this place. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we thank you for the guidance that you've given us through the book of Esther, Lord. And uh, today we just pray together that we will, we will hear what it is that you'll have us hear in the conclusion of this book. Uh, we pray that uh, those that have not heard your word this way before would hear it, Lord. We pray that uh, people will be drawn to you because of who you are and who you are to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue our, our series on the book of Esther today, we'll be looking at the final chapters, 9 and 10. Uh, last week, Phil gave us a great recap of our series so far, and he shared with us about the faithfulness of Esther and the favor of God for those who listen to him. Today we'll examine these final chapters, keeping an open eye to God's word, leading us to victory. Not victory in ourselves, but to God's victory. God wants us to remember that we are victorious with him when we are faithful to him. And he wants us to celebrate and proclaim this. So if you want to find on page um, 714, you can read along with me, chapters 9 and 10. Page 714. Chapter 9, verse 1. On the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed Parshandatha, Delphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Eridatha, Parmashta, Arasai, Aradai, and Vaisatha, the ten sons of Haman, sons, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, 
and the ten sons of Haman and the citadel of Susa? What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? It will also be granted. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also. And let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa 300 men. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back on his own head, and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word pure, because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should, should, without fail, observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews. Nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. 
King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Throughout the book of Esther, there's been continued the struggle between the evil Haman and Queen Esther and her uncle Mordecai, the Jew. The struggle is not just between a few named people, but it really encompasses the struggle between God's people, the Jews, and the enemies of God. Now, God and God's people will be victorious. In these verses, we see highlighted the triumph of God's people. In verses 5 through 14, God's people, the Jews, are victorious over Haman and his ten sons. In verse 5, the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. Verse 6, in the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. And it ends in verse 14, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. This victory was not just a defeat of the enemies of God, but a total annihilation. And to top this off, the already dead sons of Haman were set up on poles publicly for everyone to see. God's people are victorious over the men in Susa. In verse 15, the Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they put to to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. And God's people are victorious over the rest of the king's provinces. Verses 16, Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Let's pause here for just a moment. Isn't it comforting to know that God will totally crush his enemies? But digest this just a little bit further. Who are the enemies of God? In our humanness and without Jesus, we can all be the enemies of God. That should make you just a little bit uncomfortable. It's like we're walking on the edge of the Grand Canyon where Pastor Ryan and his family were this week. And the only thing that keeps us from falling to an imminent death is Jesus. In Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Psalm 68.21, Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. 
Where then can we find our victory? Like the, the victory the Jews had. If we are truly enemies of God, we find our victory in Jesus. By God's grace and through Jesus' death on the cross, we share in the inheritance of Jesus overcoming sin. In Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So there's some other uh, key lessons um, in these chapters. First, repeated three times in today's text, we see the phrase, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. What's the backstory to this? This is the key reversal of King Saul's disobedience that began God's judgment over Israel. In 1 Samuel 15, 3, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Then in verse 14, But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? You see, Saul was disobedient. He didn't listen to the message from the Lord. He did not totally destroy as God asked him. Instead, he plundered the cattle and livestock and kept them for himself. Then Samuel again in verse 19, Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Our God is a just God. He will not and cannot accept disobedience without payment. This time, however, in the book of Esther, the Israelites were allowed to plunder their enemies, but they did not. In Esther chapter 8, verse 11, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. They chose not to, however, as a reversal of their prior disobedience. Three times in chapter 9, verses 10, 15, and 16, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The king's edict would have allowed them to plunder, but they chose to be obedient to God this time. Second key lesson here, it's important to remember God's faithfulness. We sang this together today. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And in Paul's words from Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has his eye on you. He has plans for you. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, 
providence is wonderfully intricate. Ah, you want always to see through providence, do you not? You never will, I assure you. You have not eyes good enough. You want to see what good that affliction was to you. You must believe it. You want to see how it can bring good to the soul. You may be enabled in a little time, but you cannot see it now. You must believe it. Honor God by trusting him. Queen Esther and Mordecai understood that the victories the Jews experienced were because of the providence of God. They honored God by a decree, creating a holy day of remembrance called Purim. Now this is quite ironic, another sort of turnaround in the story of Esther. If you remember, the day chosen to exterminate all the Jews in the kingdom was chosen by the role of the die, the purr. And plural in the Persian language, they just add im, purim, the dice. In Esther 9, 24, and 25, For Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and cast the purr, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. To this day, the Jews celebrate the holiday of Purim by lamenting on the day planned for the destruction of the Jews, but celebrating the following day with great joy that God provided them protection and destroyed their enemies instead. Although the day of judgment seemed a random fall of the dice, God was at work behind the scenes the whole time. This is God's providence, not coincidence. And I have four applications for you today. Number one, be obedient and listen for God's voice in your life. John 10.27 My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. See God in the fine print. He's surely there. What about when you haven't been obedient? And that happens often. Repent of your sin and stop sinning. John 8, 11, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. God is faithful. From 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, know that only God's grace can bring you to victory. God is faithful, and he provides a way to victory for us through his son Jesus. He is perfect and perfectly holy. God wants you, and he wants all of you. Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Application number three. Live your life for Christ. Serve with humility. 
Mordecai became great, not because he elevated himself, but in verse 10.3, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. 1 Corinthians 10.24, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. And Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Look around you. If it is in your power to help, support, or protect others, do it. And finally, application number four, remember God's faithfulness. Our daughter Allison did spend two years in the country of Jordan teaching at a women's center. She was the only Christian in the village, and she was the only woman who didn't wear a headscarf. She gained the respect of the men and women of the community, and the local fathers allowed their daughters to celebrate the festival of the eggs with her. That's our Easter. (laughs) Many people at that time asked me if I was fearful for her safety. I could always say with assurance that I was not worried for her because God was faithful, and he had told her, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Tell your story. It's really his story. Heavenly Father, thank you for the kind attention to everybody today, Lord. Um, I ask that you will impress this message on people's hearts and that they would uh, come to accept your son, Jesus. If they do not know you, Lord, I pray that they will know more of you today and that they will, they will give themselves up to you. And I pray this all in Jesus' name.